Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to 10. We're, we're going to knock out half the chapter this morning. How about that? Praise God, right? And, and while you're turning there, I, I feel like today we're going to be answering a question that I feel like a lot of us as believers that we have, especially I've been hearing um, kind of some feedback for the last couple of weeks. And the question that I've been hearing um, is this, that if we have Jesus and his grace, what do we do with this law? What do we do with the Old Testament if we have Jesus and his grace? Right? And, and I feel like um, that comes with a struggle. That question comes with the internal struggle that we have, and, and that struggle is the, that longing to have acceptance, right? Whether it be from your parent and you were a kid that you wanted to be accepted by your, your mom or your dad, or maybe accepted by your coach when you were on a sports team, or maybe accepted by your boss and wanted to affirm your hard work, right? We have this acceptance and the struggle for that. And, and I have an example in my own life that I see this longing to be accepted, right? And I mean, Lucy and I, we don't have children, right? Praise the Lord, not yet. But we have a puppy, right? And we're learning a lot through our puppy, all right? And his name is Ollie. We're learning a whole lot. And if you have a dog, you're going to learn some things, right? Amen. Amen. That's right, Charlie. You're going to learn some things. And the thing that I, we have learned is that my dog is an emotional dog. He is an emotional dog. And, and if you don't pay attention to him when he wants you to pay attention to him, he's going to let you know that he, that, he's, that he wants your attention. And what he's going to do is he'll walk a few steps in front of you, and he'll stop, and he'll turn his back towards us, and he'll look around his shoulder. And he will stay like that for 10, 15, 20 minutes until finally I say, Ollie, what's wrong, buddy? And he'll turn his head and look away from me. Right? He, wants to, he wants me to feel that being denied. He wants me to feel that. Right? And, and, but here's the other side of that thing. is When I walk into the house and he has done something wrong, right? I walk in and all of a sudden he loves on me more than he's ever loved on me before. Right? <laughs> Hugs, licked on, all this thing. And all of a sudden I see what he did, whatever it is. And I go, Ollie, what, are you, what, what did you do? And he ducks down and he knows, oh man, I'm in trouble. Right? But he offered me a bunch of love before I, before I found out what he did. Right? And that, that's, that's what we're learning. And, and I think a lot of times we have that same idea with God. That we're wanting to be accepted and that we want to, 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 for God to look at us and go, man, good boy or good girl. And, and we want to be accepted, but we feel like we have to offer something up first. Right. And, and, and the question that that comes with is, if we have Jesus, what do we do with the law and what he's commanded us to do? Right. If Donnie, you're saying, you know, it's by faith that we're saved and God's grace and, and the grace that he gives us. What, what about the work? What I have to there's something I have to do. Right. And, and Paul's going to answer that today. So before we get in and we jump into the scripture, let's spend some time praying, asking God to give us wisdom and, and, and focus this morning. So bow your head and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, God. We thank you for the grace that you've given us, Father. We thank you for the fact that you've chosen to love us, Father. And we pray that uh, right now that you would help us focus on you, God, that we would focus that uh, whatever distractions are causing us to turn away from you in this moment, God, I pray that you break down those walls, you break away from that distraction, God, and that we can focus to you, God. I pray that you give us wisdom and, and that you speak directly to our hearts, Father. We love you. Uh, thank you for forgiving us of our sins, God. And it's your son's name. Amen. 
So Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this right here. Then after, and this is Paul, remember. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation and set before them, right in parentheses, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or not had run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Okay, so Paul, right, we, we know what's going on in Galatians, right? If you've been here, if you're a visitor, here's a little, here's a little catch up. Paul's been going around preaching the gospel to Gentiles. And if you don't know what a Gentile is, that's if anyone that's not Jewish, right? So we're Gentiles, okay? And, and he's preaching this true gospel that was revealed to him. This big theme that Paul had is that this gospel isn't sent by man. It's not twisted up by men. It's revealed by Jesus Christ. And, and he's sharing this gospel all over the place. And, and, and we know that um, the gospel that we've been covering it for three weeks is that we're saved by Jesus and his work that he did on the cross, not by the work that we do here on earth. Right? We've been covering that. It's Jesus and what he did for us and not what we can do plus Jesus. We, we don't add on to what Jesus has done. It's finished. When he said it's finished, it's, that's it. It's Jesus' work. Right? I used to have, I was on the basketball team throughout middle school, high school, and I tried to play in college, and I realized that I can't play as good as I thought I could. Right? But I had this, this theme, this motto that you do work, you don't let work do you. Right? And, and, and I kind of brought that into my own life. I'm going to work and prove that I'm a Christian. I'm going to prove that, God, I love you. I'm going to prove myself to you, God. And, and, and we've been covering that. It's not what we can offer Jesus, but it's the offer that Jesus has for us. Right? And, and this is what's going on. It is, is here, you know, we, we, we try to say, Jesus, here is my life and what I've done, so let me in. Right, kind of like my puppy. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. Don't look at what I've done, but here's I'm loving on you right now, right? And and, and you got to be careful with that because what happens in Christianity today, and I've seen it as I we've lived in these texts and I've been all over the Bible Belt preaching at churches and things like that. I've realized that Christianity is 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 turning into something very evil, very wicked. And if you're not careful, you can fall into this. And, and what I want to call it is, it's not Christianity, but a fire insurance type of Christianity. That hell insurance Christianity. That, oh, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to be a Christian. Amen. That's fire insurance Christianity. Okay? And, and if, you, if you don't know what that looks like, let me, let me give you an example here. Okay? You can ask someone, hey man, um, are you a Christian? And the response, yeah, I was baptized when I was 11. Okay, right on. Right on, check that off, okay? Do you, have, do you read your Bible? Oh, yeah, brother, I got 14 of them at home. Different versions, King James, New King James, I got them all. Okay, right on, right on. Do you go to church? Oh, yeah, I go to Duncan Baptist. Been there my whole life. All right, and then the last question I would ask that person is, okay, well, are, well tell me about your relationship with Jesus. And the response would be, I just did. That isn't a relationship with Jesus. That isn't Christianity. That's a fire insurance, making sure that if I do this, this, and this, God's not going to send me to hell. That is not Christianity. That is not knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That's you and your made-up checklist of what you think that God's going to finally accept you if you do these things. 
That is not Christianity. Paul's gone around preaching for 14 years the gospel, and it's the opposite of that checklist. It's more than saying, oh, yes, I believe. It's more than, yes, I've been baptized. It's more than I read my Bible daily. It's more than going to church. It's about knowing Jesus and his grace and his love and his peace and sitting in that grace and not trying to add on to it. For 14 years, Paul's been going around doing this. So now he's heading up to Jerusalem. Right. And, and he says right here that that it was from a revelation. It's not like Paul was all of a sudden sent to the principal's office in Jerusalem. Right. He's going up there. There's apostles that are Christians, but they're teaching that you have to follow the law. So Paul, by revelation of Jesus saying you're going to go up and you're going to argue the case for the true gospel. Right. And here's a fun fact about your pastor in second grade. I got the record breaking year for the most detentions in a year. I was sent to the principal's office more than any other student in the second grade. And by the end of the year, the teachers loved me, even though I did all those things, loved me and I won the student of the year award. So I don't know what that was about, but that's just a fun fact about your pastor. That was for free. And I'm, I love you guys, so let me share that with you. All right. So anyways, Jesus, or Paul's going up to Jerusalem, and, and, and you've got to remember that these Christians, they, they, they don't get it yet. They don't get it yet. They still believe, yeah, Jesus is real. Jesus died for my sins. I understand that. But the Old Testament, we have to follow that in order to be saved. And so Paul's going up there to, to, to help them out because they were stuck in this. They, they were counted as pure and acceptable and righteous because of they followed the law. Right? You guys with me? I don't want you to get confused here. That, that, that's, how, that's what they did. Okay, and so Paul's going there, and, and he and he does this. He doesn't directly assault them, right? And, and I like to say there's a BC part of us. Once you come to Jesus, remember last week we talked about you get a former life once you come to Jesus. There's a BC, a before Christ version of yourself, right? And I pray to God daily that He doesn't let my old ways come out of me, right? That would be a bad thing if my old self pops up, right? And so Paul, he doesn't let his old self come up here. Right. He doesn't go and say, man, you're a bunch of idiots. You don't get it. He writes these letters to like churches in Galatia, like we're reading. And he aggressively points out that this is the gospel. And if you don't believe it, you're, you're believing something wrong. Right. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. And, and, and who does he say that he takes with them? Titus and Barnabas. Right. And, and if you want to if you know, this is this is what I love about Paul. He's very strategic. And what he does, right? And so he's taking Barnabas, this Jew by birth. He's a, he's a Christian, but he was a Jew by birth. So he is used to following the law, right? And then you got Titus, this Gentile, this Greek who eats bacon like no one's business, right? He's a straight Greek, right? And he's taking the two opposite people. He's taking them with him because he wants to prove that, yes, the gospel can save you even if you're a Jew. Yes, the gospel can save you even if you're Gentile. And he's going to use their testimonies to argue the case for Jesus Christ. Right? And, and, and I, I love Paul. All right? And, and so this is what we see. Um, he goes to Jerusalem with them, and now he's arguing. So um, this, is, this is kind of what Paul's argument is. You know, when I preach the true gospel to men and women that are Gentiles, they accept it and they become saved and they're saved without circumcision and they're saved without conforming to the law, but they're justified by Christ alone. He lays it out there and we see that in round one of this fight, they walk away with the victory. 
right? And how do we know that? It's because it specifically says that Titus, this Greek, walked away not feeling like as a grown man he needed to be um, circumcised in order to be saved, right? So they win the first round, and we're going to continue verse 4 and 5. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom in Christ that we have so that we might bring us back into slavery to them who did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. All right, so I want to go back to the question that we had in the beginning. If Jesus and his grace is good enough to save, what do we do about the law and the Old Testament? Right? And, and here's the two arguments that, as Christians, that we kind of deal with. And I, I'm sure this is what Paul heard in, in his argument. If you preach the gospel and you don't preach the law to somebody, then simply they're going to be lawless. They're going to walk in lawlessness. Right? If you don't teach people how to be moral and then change themselves, they're going to walk around doing whatever they want. That's the first argument that we have. If you remove the fear of hell, if you remove the guilt and damnation, people are not going to fly straight. They're going to do what they want. And that's the first argument that Paul hears. The second argument against that Jesus is enough is that the gospel or is that the law is holy, that the law is divine, that the law was given by God. And for thousands and thousands of years, people have used the law as a guide for their lives. And, and, and it was for God's covenant people. So here's Paul all of a sudden saying that the law isn't real, that the law isn't something that you should follow. Right? Pastor, is that what you've been saying for the past couple of weeks, that we can do what we want because God's going to forgive us anyways? Absolutely not. Right? Paul says that should we continue to sin, that grace may abound more and more and more? Absolutely not. Right? And, and here's the answer that I think it solves both issues that we have. Here's the answer. And this is a very key thing that I want you to have in your faith. So if you want to write this down, you can. But here it is that the law has every right to tell me that I must love God. The Bible has every right to tell me that because it's God's inspired word. Amen. Has every right to tell me that the law has every right to tell me I must love my neighbor, that I shouldn't worship things that are not God, that I should not covet another man's things, that I should obey my parents. The law has every right to tell me these things. But the law has no ability to save me of my failures when I fail to follow it. The law is holy and pure, but it has no ability to save us. And it's kind of like this, that the law all of a sudden becomes, it's like a diagnostic, right? It's not the cure, it's the diagnostic. Right, you go into the doctor and something's wrong, and I have a story about my childhood I want to share. Right, when I was young, I was really wild and hyper, jumping off the walls. My grandma didn't know what to do with me half the time. Right, so I spent a lot of time in Brother Don's office praying that the Lord would calm me down. Right, and, and my mom moved in with us, and, and we were wrestling on the bed like young kids do. We were wrestling, you know, my mom, and, and my mom is strong. All right, you don't want to mess with my mom. And, and all of a sudden, I was getting to the point in my age where I was becoming strong enough to win a couple of wrestling matches, right? But my mom wanted me to make sure that I knew she's my mama, and you don't mess with mama, right? And so she gave me a good kick to the chest, and I come flying off the bed, and when I landed, I landed on my foot on the frame of the bed, and I felt the most horrible pain I've ever felt in my foot, 
And I knew something's wrong. Something's not right here. And my mom said, no, you're okay. Tough it up. You know, you're fine. You're just mad because you lost the wrestling match, right? And kind of rubbed it in my face. But I knew something was wrong with my foot, right? Young boy, I knew it. And for the week, my mom didn't believe me. And she made me walk on my, she's going to hate that I'm telling this, right? So don't tell her I'm saying this. But she hated, I mean, she, she made me walk, and I went to school limping and like, oh, my gosh, my foot. I couldn't play. I couldn't do anything. Something is wrong with my foot. And I remember one day I woke up, and I had to get my grandma to come help me put my shoe on because my foot was so swollen. And my grandma said, that's it. Enough's enough. She flew me to the hospital. My mom met us there, and, and they took us back. And remember, as a kid, when you, the first time you get an X-ray, right? If you've ever been in an X-ray or a CAT scan, it's like, oh, this is awesome, right? They, they put my foot down and they got this big machine and it has an X that points right in the middle of my foot. I'm thinking they're gonna chop it off, right? I don't know what is going on, but I just think this is awesome, right? And I hear these machines and my parents, they gotta stand behind this glass and they gotta put this thing on me and it's just a mind-blowing experience when you're a young kid, right? And they take these pictures and, and, and here's the diagnostic, here's the result. And, and they pull up this sheet and they turn on the light. And you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The, the white screen. They turn it on and there's my foot. Every bone, it's, it just mind blows, right? And, and he points out that, yeah, here's the, here's the foot, or here's the bone in the middle of your foot where you originally broke it. And here's this break and this break since you've been walking on your broken foot, you broke it two more places, right? And so I had to have, I, had, I put a cast on, my mom felt horrible. I had ice cream every day for the next three or four weeks. <laughs> best weeks of my life. I was awesome, right? I had a red, white, and blue cast. I'll never forget. But, but this is what I want you to realize something, that when we come to the law, when we read the scriptures, it is like a diagnostic. It tells us we are messed up. It tells us that we are sinners. It tells us that there's something inside of us that needs to be cured. There's something broken inside of us. But it can't heal you. I can't keep looking at the x-ray of my broken foot and say, broken foot x-ray, heal me please, and my foot be healed. It doesn't work that way. You need a cure. You need a cast that holds your foot straight and the bones can heal. Just like when we read this and it says that we are sinners and that we are doomed for hell without Jesus. But Jesus is the cure. So stop turning to the diagnostic when the cure is Jesus. Stop turning to the law. And Paul's trying to get them to realize that the law can't fix you. You can't be um, eating this, this, and this. That's not good enough for your salvation. Jesus is the only way to be sanctified. Jesus is the only way to be counted as holy. Jesus is the cure to our evil, broken, sinful hearts. Jesus is the cure. So now the law is holy. It is divine. But that holy, divine diagnostic tool lets us know that we need a Savior. We need a Savior. So to those of you who say, like, you know, you can only preach Jesus and that if you only do that and you only preach grace, it'll lead to lawlessness. I, I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you. The law, this Bible is a diagnostic tool. That shows us and points to Jesus. And once you have that healing cure, once you have Jesus, this diagnostic tool, this law that used to slave us, right? This tool all of a sudden switches around and it becomes a path for our life. 
We don't toss the Old Testament away. We don't toss the Bible away. Once we accept Jesus, it turns into a path for our feet. And only fools despise wisdom and instruction. We don't toss it aside, but we just realize that it is not what saves us. Jesus is the only one that can save. Some of you right now still might not get it. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid some of you right now in your head are still saying, Brother Donnie, I understand. I get it. I'm going to stop thinking that. If the first thought in your mind is, I'm going to stop it. You should press harder and harder and harder into Jesus and let him change you. Let him switch your mind. Let him heal your heart. Because you can do it for so long. You can fix your morals. You can fix yourself for a little bit. And in my life, I've, and what I've experienced is that when I've done those things, it doesn't last long. I, I can change for a little bit. I was good at that. I was, uh, part of my testament, I was really two-faced in my walk. I was called preacher boy growing up, right, because I knew God was calling me to be a pastor. But on this other side of my life, I was doing what I wanted to do. I was selfish. I was mean. I was hard-hearted, very hard-hearted. The way I grew up um, in in my background, I didn't deal with emotions. You you just couldn't do it where I'm from. And, And I remember specifically when I was five or six years old, about that time, my grandma forced me to come sit on her lap, and she wouldn't let me up until I cried. And finally, after an hour of wrestling with my grandma, I broke down because I hadn't dealt with any emotions. And, and, and that continued as, as I continued to fix my life and say, God, I'm tired of messing up, doing the same thing over and over. My heart grew harder and harder. And, and, and fast forward, I'm, I'm in college and, and Lucy and I are dating. And, and this is what happens is that my hard heart, not dealing with anything, not letting God change me first, but me trying to fix everything, trying to follow this law, following and looking at the diagnostic, saying diagnostic help me. It messed with our relationship, and we finally broke up. And, and I remember for four or five, or for three or four months, we never spoke to each other. And, and my friend Tafazwa Chiruma, he lives in, in Dallas, Texas. He was my roommate at East Texas Baptist University. He called me one day, knowing, knowing that I was struggling with our breakup. We've been together for a year, right? And knowing that I was struggling, called me and said, hey, I want to take you out for dinner. It's going to be a bro night, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, my, my bros are here, right? We're going to go, and it's going to be awesome. Right? And we go and we sit down, and I'm excited to see my friend. I haven't seen him in a while. And we sit down, and I say, man, how you doing, Tafazua? And he said, Donnie, shut up. <laughs> okay. Right? I knew I was in trouble. And he said, Donnie, your heart is the hardest thing I've ever seen in my life. He said, and not only does it affect your friendships, not only does it affect your family, not only did it affect and end your relationship with Lucy, but it is affecting the way God is moving in your life. And I realized that for the first time, I have been going back to the diagnostic and not turning to Jesus for every aspect of my life, thinking that I can cure myself when Jesus is the only cure. And, and I went home and I, and I thought and I prayed, God, forgive me. Please, I know in your scriptures it says that you can take a heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. And Jesus did that. And I remember just the way it felt. And I remember like, oh, Jesus, I, I, I know that you're good. And I remember what it tastes like. And I got a big bite of Jesus that night. Amen. Oh, my gosh, it was great. And at the same exact time, Lucy's down in Houston, having spoke to each other. She's praying that God would soften my heart and speak directly to my heart. 
Fast forward, we've been married a year. Glory to God. Right? What I want to say to you is that you might still be thinking you can do something to help Jesus. And until you stop turning to yourself, until you stop turning to the law and take hold of Jesus, you're just going to be that hard-hearted person struggling. And you can do that as long as you want. God will let you. It's way easier just to turn to Jesus. Amen? We're going to keep it going. I got a little sidetracked right there. Let's go back to verse 5. To them, we did not yield to submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Verse 6, And for those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seem to be influential added nothing to my life. All right? So Paul's going and he's arguing. He's saying that God can change you. This diagnostic, yeah, that's it. But Jesus is the cure and he's talking and, and he hears a counter argument and it says that he didn't budge. He didn't move. He, I, I know the gospel, right? And I, I feel like we're in a time in, in America's history that we're budging for anything and everything. We're, we're, we're not standing our ground for the gospel. And that's a scary place to be. And, and Paul's saying, I didn't budge. And, and this is what, I, I laugh pretty hard at this, right? Because we know Paul, he's, he's crazy, right? He's aggressive. He's, 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 a, he's that guy, right? And, and this is what he does because he says, I see some B.C. Paul. I see some that before Christ Paul coming out, right? He has a little moment. And I don't know why he did this. He's not disrespecting them, but he says, look, I was talking to some influential people. Right? I, I was talking to some higher ups. They didn't add anything to me. I, I didn't gain anything from what they were saying. Right? I don't know why Paul did that. Right? He already won the argument. He was just kind of throwing it at him. He's saying, look, God shows no difference. We and the ministry that we're doing, we're not up here. God is up here. We submit to God. That's what Paul was trying to get at. But he just had to, he just had to throw in a jab right there. You know, that, that, that one more little hit before the round was over. Right? But he's trying to say, look, we are greater than the ministry. God is the greatest. And we shouldn't be talking about the kingdom work when the king is in our presence. Okay. Verse 7 and 9 says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for the apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, that gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All right. So, so this is what this is what's going on here. All right. It, it, it's not that this right hand of Christian fellowship. They're they're saying that Paul, look, we understand, we hear the gospel, and we believe it. We're we're on the same page. Right. And so Paul's saying, look, I'm going to continue my ministry with the Gentiles, those that don't go to church. I'm going to continue doing my thing. You guys continue to do your thing here in Jerusalem. But what you understand is that it's the same message, just different contexts. Right. And, and I have an example of that for seven years. The past seven years, I've been doing ministry to skateboarders. Right. How many of you have ever been on a skateboard on your, in your life? Raise your hand. Huh? A few of you. Right? I got some extra ones if you want to learn how to, how to skate. I, I'll help you. All right? 
But for seven years, that's what I've been doing. I've been doing ministry to skateboarders. And, and that context is going to look and sound and smell and taste a little different than a Sunday morning service. Right? You're, at, at a Sunday morning service, we're going to be singing some hymns. We're going to be singing some praise and worship. We're going to be clapping. Well, I hope we get to clapping someday. But we're going to be clapping, right? And we're going to get there. I promise. We're going to be getting there. To stay with me, right? But that sounds a little different, but the gospel is still the same. And at the skate park, you're going to be hearing not praise and worship hymns. You're going to be hearing some Christian hip-hop. And I guarantee if I play some Christian hip-hop in here, someone's going to have a heart attack, right? <laughs> and we're going to get there someday, I promise. We're going, we're going to get there, right? But it sounds and looks different, but the message is the same. You can be at an urban church in the, in the city and a, and a country cowboy church, and it's going to smell different, Amen. You've been to a cowboy church, it just smells a little different, right? But the message is the same, and that's what Paul is trying to get at, that you are gifted and you are talented because God has designed you to do a specific ministry. God has designed you, gave you the ability to do certain things that I can't do. And your ministry might look like reaching out to the trailer park communities. Your ministry might look like singing in the choir. And what I want to hear, what I want you to hear me say is that we're not going to force you to be in anything that God hasn't designed you to be. At this church, we want, to, we want to work with your talents and abilities and get you going in the direction that God has specifically created you to be. And that's what Paul's saying is that, hey, this is what we're doing. Same message, same team. We're working for the same man. All right? And, and we're going to pick up and we're going to, we're going to start wrapping up here. Verse 10. Um, Only they asked us to remember the poor. The very thing that I was eager to do. And, and what's happening here is that there was this famine that kind of swept across um, right after Jesus, Jesus ascended. There's this famine that swept across and there's a lot of war breaking out. And, and the, the churches in Jerusalem, they were struggling, right? You know, there, there, was, there wasn't a lot of funds that, that the church had specifically. And, and their worries, Peter's worry was, hey, Paul, look, this is what I don't want to happen. I don't want to happen that all of a sudden that there's Jewish churches over here, Jewish Christian churches over here, and Gentile Christian churches over here. He said, man, I want, Paul, I want you to realize that we are all the church, right? And, and here's what I want to say to that is that this building isn't the church, I specifically want you guys to hear me right now. This building is not the church. The body of Christ is the church. We can change, we can paint, we can do these things, and it doesn't change this building. What happens is that when the church stops being the church is when Christians stop being Christians. I want you to hear me when I say that. Peter's saying, look, we are the church. And, and I want to tell you, right now, I love Duncan Baptist Church. Lucy and I love it here. We plan on being here as long as the Lord will allow it. And we, we, we want you to just let you know we love it here. Right? And we thank the Lord for this place. But it belongs to Jesus. It belongs to Jesus. All right? And... and if this church stops being a church that brings more people in to fellowship with Jesus and not come in here and look at how beautiful, how awesome this place is, we're messing up. When this place becomes a club, I don't want any part of that. Peter's saying, Paul, just make sure you're on the same page. The church belongs to Jesus and we're here to do ministry. One message, the true gospel, Jesus died for your sins. And, and that's what it's going to be. And Paul said, I'm, I'm all in. I'm already, I'm already eager to do it. 
Are you? Are you on the same page? Are you on the same page? We're going to wrap up, and, and Charlie, you guys can come on up. I want to bring us back to the point and kind of close us out that really this entire book of Galatians becomes about whether or not you believe in the one true gospel or not. Whether or not you're landing in places of salvation that really isn't salvation. And, and what I want to break you back to is, is going back to the original question that we asked each other. If Jesus and his grace is enough, what do we do about the law and the commandments? And, and I want to ask you a question, and I, I want you to spend some time dealing with it in your own heart. Are you walking and living and going back to the diagnostic, or are you chasing the cure? Are, are you going back to the, the, the same place where you know you're a sinner? Yes, I'm a sinner. I know that, and I know I need salvation. I know I need Jesus. And so what I'm going to do is this, 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 and this. Are you leaning on your own work, or are you resting on the work that Jesus has already finished? Are you looking continuously at the diagnostic, or are you turning to Jesus? And, and on the flip side of that, if you have turned to Jesus... Are you looking at this as a path for your life? Or are you living how you want to live? That's a tough spot. And I believe someone here, we're stuck trying to earn the favor of God. That only comes freely in Jesus. Right? Others of you might hear, you might be that fire insurance type of Christian. You don't know the true feeling and the true joy that comes with being with Jesus. And I just want to plead with you that you would consider what seems to be unreal, this unrealistic offer that God gives us. I want you to consider it and see if maybe you can take hold of it. Because it is a free gift. There's not a lot of free things in this world. Not a lot of free things in this world. And God offers us the only thing that can save us. And he says it is free. Don't try to fix yourself. Don't try to change your own morals. Don't try to soften your own heart. It doesn't work. It is a free gift of God. And God is knocking and offering it to you. But you have to receive it. You have to stop looking at the diagnostic and start chasing the cure. So we're going to stand and we're going to pray. And this altar is going to be open for you to come and spend time with Jesus. I'm going to be down here praying. And if you want to spend time in prayer, we've got a prayer team ready to go that can pray and cancel with you. Maybe you need to join the church. Maybe you need to be a part of a body that gets it, that accepts you for who you are. This is that body. I believe some of you guys might want to join the church and we can handle that today. But don't leave just looking at the diagnostic that you're a sinner. Leave knowing that you have the cure. Know that you have the cure and that is Jesus Christ.